Hey folks, welcome back. I'm your host, Simon Ward, and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships, happiness, and much more, because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB in X-ray, or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these has real significance. By the way, you get access to a lot more of this type of information if you're on my mailing list. I typically email my group three times a week with tips and hints on some of the subjects I mentioned above and a lot more. So if you'd like to join, you can find a link in the show notes or you can email beth at thetriathloncoach.com. And as a blatant bribe, we've got some free gifts for those who sign up. So if you've been a regular listener, you've probably noticed over the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time talking about topics such as mindfulness, recovery and self-compassion. I speak enthusiastically about my physio and yoga teacher Louisa, aka The White Witch, and some of you might have watched my morning mobility video. By the way, if you haven't done already, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I combine this with deliberate breathing practice. That's my morning mobility, by the way. I've even touched on meditation, but we've never actually had a meditation expert on the show in the five years that we've been running. So today that all changes as we welcome mindfulness and self-compassion teacher, Dr. Caroline Hoffman. By the end of this conversation, I hope that we can persuade some of you to give meditation or mindfulness practice a try and experience some of the benefits that we chat about in the call. So okay, let's go over to Caroline and hear from the expert. Welcome to the show, Dr. Caroline Hoffman. Thank you very much, Simon. So we've been introduced by my brother, who has been a guest on the podcast, talking about self-compassion. And actually, for the audience that I have, um, I was surprised about how popular that topic was. Um, So clearly, there's a little bit in there about being kind to yourself and perhaps not uh, being disappointed with things all the time. Yeah, definitely. It it does a lot for our, our well-being and our physiology and our sort of chance for a happy life. Yeah. Mm. Yes, and we all want a happy life, don't we? And and what I think what I think triathletes discover is just getting across the finish line and setting a personal best might lead to that. It's a bit like that um that dopamine hit that people get when they go shopping, isn't it? You get this ecstasy for a few minutes and then it wears off and uh, you're on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's true. It's sort of what, you know, what's important to us and, and you know, how can, you know, what are the things that we love doing that help us uh, achieve mm-hmm. wherever it is we want to go? And of course, you know, doing something amazing and, and challenging is part of that journey. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing, isn't it? It's part of the journey and everything that you experience on the road to achieving that goal um, provides value and provides memories, sometimes more memories than the actual doing part. True, true. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the reason I asked Jonathan to introduce us was because I, I felt like we spent a lot of time on, on the show over the last four years talking about things like mindfulness and uh, self-compassion, as I've mentioned, and resting and relaxing. And we've talked a little bit about meditation, but I realized that in almost the five years that we've been going, we've never had anybody on to actually talk about the specific subject of meditation. Mm. So I know that you are involved with all of those things that I just mentioned, mindfulness and self-compassion, but I know that you're also an expert in meditation. So um, maybe we could give people a flavor of why why you're here, what your background is, how you got to this point. Yeah. Um, yeah and, then, right. and, then we, and then we could introduce them to the whole world of meditation and see if we can drum up yeah. some uh, new converts yeah thanks simon so where to begin uh for me um so as you can probably hear from my accent i'm i'm australian and um and i spent the, t- the first 28 years of my life living in melbourne and um my mother had a particular interest in um uh, things like yoga and meditation so she met a yoga teacher when I was four years old so that was really the beginning of my journey too because then you know becoming vegetarian you know starting to have my mother do yoga in the house and and you know introduced to the eye of meditation this all became you know familiar to me as I, as I grew up and as I became, I think I went to my first meditation class when I was about 11. So 
Um, that was an interesting experience. And also then really sort of started to do some yoga as, as a teenager. So, you know, I explored it. In, and I would say at that point it was in a fairly kind of the way teenagers kind of explore things. It was kind of trying it out, seeing what I felt it wasn't a regular practice or anything like that, but it was just kind of you know, reading some books by yogi, um, yogis, Indian yogis and so on, and getting a sense of the territory um, of, of yoga and meditation. I can imagine that meditation for an 11-year-old is quite challenging because I know when I was 11, I couldn't, I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'd always, I've always had an interest. And I think at, because I'm, you know, I'm 65, um, I was, you know, I was young in the 60s and um, this, you know, there was a, that, that was very much the, the zeitgeist of that time, wasn't it? That mm-hmm. uh, anybody who's old enough to remember that will know that, you know, this was very much, I feel well, I feel now we're having a renaissance of all of that, um, which is great for this current, current generation. But, you know, we were all curious. And I think, you know, we wanted to know what nirvana was and we wanted to know what getting enlightened was. And, you know, this was all, you know, there were lots of people on the hippie trail to India, all that kind of thing. So, you know, this was very much of its time, I think. Um, so while it might seem a bit strange now, it was kind of kind of what happened. You know, your mum would take you along to something like that. And that was just sort of part of growing up, I think. Yeah, well, I guess if if it's part of the, the environment that you're growing up in, in the same way that if your mum and dad were runners, you probably started out going to the running club with them or, you know, going to the swimming club. So if you grow up with that mindset, I suppose it's a lot easier to take on, isn't it, if, if, it's, if you're surrounded by it all the time? Yeah, I think that's true. And my initial journey took me to a little book by a guy, um, I think it was uh, Yogi Brahmacharaka, called The Science of Breath. And that was a kind of starting point for me as a teenager. And I love books. I love paper books. I'm not a Kindle person. And I love getting my pencil out and underlining and writing notes in the margins and and that kind of thing. That's always been important to me. So I started off with this little book. I even put a plastic cover on it because it was so important to me to look after it. So uh, that's what we did in those days. <laughs> well, mate, I, I always ask my guests to recommend books, so we'll definitely put that one in the show notes. Um, we've, we've actually had a couple of uh, podcast guests on sp- speaking sp- specifically about this topic of breathing. Um, one of them's written a book called The Oxygen Advantage, uh, Patrick McEwen. I don't know if you've met him. I haven't met him, no. No, but um, yeah, breathing is always a, a funny one for a lot of people because, you know, you talk to somebody of our age because I'm not I'm not far short of your age and they'll say, well, I've got to this age, so I must be doing okay at breathing. But then if, if you actually analyse how people breathe, it's it's actually not very efficient really, is it? And um, so. Yeah, it's something that we, we're unconscious of our breathing habits. I think this is the thing. It's about how do we become more conscious or mindful, if you like, of of everything, not just, you know, and breathing is a, a part of that too. Mm. So so I guess that was a starting point. And then the other thing that happened to me, I went to um, university in Melbourne, went to Melbourne Uni, and in my second year of university in the winter, um, I came down with viral meningitis. Mm. Um, so that was another turning point for me. I was ill for a couple of months, um, you know, lying lying in bed with massive headaches after a period in hospital and wondering if I was ever going to get better. So I think there's nothing like an illness to turn us around. And I'm sure some of your um, audience will have been through this too, that, you know, the reason they come to fitness and exercise is because mm-hmm. something's happened. And, and of course, this was another point in my life where I realized I just couldn't, I couldn't be the the partying university student that just didn't work for me. So that was another turning point and made me turn much more seriously to meditation and to yoga as well. And, and that was really the beginning of a consistent practice for me. Mm-hmm. And my first um, foray into that, into a more serious practice was um, something that was happening, it was popular at the time, which was the practice of transcendental meditation. Ah, so that's quite interesting. My, my only experience of meditation really to this point is headspace and trying to get into that um, for 10 minutes on a regular basis, which I've not done very well at, to be honest. But uh, transcendental meditation is something different to what they do, isn't it? So uh, yeah. maybe maybe can explore that in a little while once we, yeah, once we finish yeah. finding out how, to you got, how you got to this point. Yeah. So that was my starting point. And then time ticked by and I was 
you know, doing going to yoga classes and I was doing my meditation. So transcendent meditations was in those days was typically done 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. And and I think that that was helpful. And then as time went by in 1992, I I was I'm always I'm kind of my background is in sort of psychology and also in, in health. And I had trained as um, a shiatsu practitioner. And in 92, I went to a, um, a workshop in Wales being led by a mindfulness teacher. And it was the workshop was, was a few days, I think, and it was on shiatsu and mindfulness. And the what really that was, I was hooked. So a few days of and you know, starting to practice mindfulness, and that was trans turned my life around in terms of my meditation practice, and that was really the beginning of my journey with mindfulness practice, which has kind of developed from there. And I went on then to become a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction. I went to America. I trained with John Kabat-Zinn and colleagues at the. Um, the centre at the University of Massachusetts, and that was in 2004. And then I started my work setting at that time was um, in cancer support, um, and I started to teach mindfulness-based stress reduction in groups to women affected by breast cancer. And I did this um, as part of my, uh, as a doctorate, as a, as a PhD research piece at the University of Southampton. And if you think back to 2004, I mean, nobody had really heard about mindfulness in this mm-hmm. country. Um, it hadn't reached that kind of critical mass of a lot of people knowing. But I wrote to about 250 women who'd come to the um, centre that I was working at um, as, as, as a sort of clinical director of of breast cancer support services, and uh, wrote to them all and asked them would they um, be interested in coming and study. And I was flooded, absolutely flooded. I had no problem with recruitment at all. And so we ended up in a study of um, 229 uh, women affected by breast cancer learning mindfulness-based stress reduction. And the results from that, I mean, I can talk about that sort of later maybe, but, you know, they were very significant. It was a randomized controlled trial and it got published in a journal called the Journal of Clinical Oncology, which is the world top rating oncology journal. And I think it was the first time um, any any sort of meditation or mindfulness type research had been published in that journal. So it was quite a landmark. Um, So can I just ask you then about that study? This was for people who um, were recovering from cancer in remission or for people who actually had cancer at the time and were still undergoing treatment? Yeah. Both. So, yeah. So okay. I, for this study, I chose to, uh, we chose to invite people who had just finished their primary treatment for breast cancer. So these were people, not people who had what's called metastatic disease where the cancer spread all over the body, but people who had um, disease, which was, um, more treatable. So it was stages naught to three breast cancer, not stage four, if that mm-hmm. means something to your mm-hmm. um, listeners. The, um, and so there were people there of varying, you know, stages of uh, wellness. Um, most of them were fairly well. Some of them got recurrence during the, tr- the trial, which was, you know, what couldn't happen. Uh, but they were, yeah. So they're in that period where they were looking to find healthy ways to move forwards. So um, I'm curious here then, is this, are you trying to find an alternative to um, conventional medicine, to chemicals and chemotherapy and radiotherapy, or is this more about, you know, when somebody's been, my mum, Jonathan and my mother died of cancer probably 20 years ago at the same age as me. So that makes me more, more cognizant of that right now, because I think, oh, at the time, it seemed like she'd lived a, a decent life but now I think well I've, I've still got so much more living to do but I can remember when she was given the diagnosis how upset and frustrated and angry she was um she was very enthusiastic about the treatment and that perhaps prolonged her um her life somewhat so are you trying with mindfulness to just settle people's minds to take away the anxiety that's caused by a cancer diagnosis or 
is there a form of curing that's part of that as well? Yeah, great question. And the answer is that um, there is you know, there is no known what I'm going to call complementary or alternative treatment mm. that you know we use to actually treat the breast cancer. So what we so we people would be having their their surgery, their radiotherapy, their chemotherapy, their hormone treatment, all of those things would still be happening alongside um, having mindfulness. What we do know from the results of this study is that yes, um, we saw significant reductions in anxiety, in depression, in fear, in pain, um, also in menopausal symptoms, which is one of the big things. Um, another study, I didn't measure immune system response, but what we have seen in other studies is improvement in immune response. So yes, I, there are definitely physiological benefits from practicing mindfulness and improvements in immunity. Um, but at this stage, you know, we, we can't, you know, well, I don't know at any stage we'll ever be able to say that these, it actually is a cure. Yeah. Uh, and we're not uh, looking, looking at trying, we weren't looking to try to do that. I mean, it, it still seems like the jury's out. There's so many different forms of cancer and I don't think anybody's really sure exactly what is the trigger for that, whether it's lifestyle or diet or you know exercise or genetics or just a whole combination of those but I know that stress is often mentioned as something and I do wonder you know my mum she smoked when she was younger she didn't drink she was uh, very slender she was very active she she generally had a positive you know fun outlook on life but she did worry a lot and she did stress a lot and I often wonder whether that was um, part of her getting cancer because she had a very rare form of cancer as well which which doesn't have any sort of survival rates um and so there therefore my, my next question would be if if people were worried if there was a family incidence of uh, breast cancer for in, uh, for example or if if there's a family history even on the male side does meditation and mindfulness practice on a daily basis help to reduce that stress which might then give people a better chance of not contracting cancer is there a link that suggests that, or is it just um, is it just a, some sort of hypothesis still? So we know that yeah, we know that um, mindfulness can help with stress. I mean, it's interesting that um, John Kabat-Zinn called his program the mindfulness-based stress reduction program. That's what he called it, and there was a reason for that because it does you know it does help reduce stress. Um, and if we, you know, if we calm the mind, you know, we also help to balance the hormones and the other, you know, um, markers in the body around stress. They, you know, reduce the stress. So reducing stress is massive, I would say, in our lives. You know, as you said in your kind of earlier introduction, you know, we many of us that just live, you know, living with the on the button is switched on, the lights mm -hmm. on. And we never switch it off. Mm -hmm. And that is predisposes us to illness, not only something like cancer, but also other illnesses, you know, heart disease, diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, many, many other illnesses, you know, autoimmune conditions. And unless we really have an understanding of how important it is to build up this base level of, of sort of calmness this re you know rebalancing the nervous mm -hmm. system then you know we're, we're really missing something we just cannot drive ourselves the whole time without paying consequences somewhere down the line mm. so it's you know i think we're having to wake up to this you know that it's it's important that you know that we can relax and that we can have fun and that we can you know just know how to chill out i mean some of us are so driven we just you know we're, we're stressed trying to practice meditation. I mean, this is the, you know, I've got to try, I've got to get this right. I've got to get, you know, this is what happens to us. We, mm. we, you know, we're so programmed in our lives to, you know, we've, most of us have gone to school, we've been told to try hard, do our best, you mm. know, and we get into this kind of, we get into this sort of driven mentality where if we're not doing something, then, you know, we feel guilty. Well, and we normalize that sort of stress level, don't we? So you can have super high stress levels where you're under pressure from 
having to do a, a report or studying for an exam or because there's things going on in your family. And then when that backs off a bit to what most people would still consider to be a high pressure life, it's like, no, no, everything's good now, you know, but but we've just normalized different higher levels of, of stress. And ultimately, I, I like to use this phrase uh, that can be applied to lots of things about you pay now with a bit of meditation or you end up paying later. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's it, it behoves us all to look at the balance of our lives, mm. you know. And I think, you know, we could we can sit down and look at a, you know, we can kind of look at our waking day and see, divide our time up. How are we spending it? You know. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I think if I think if people wrote it down and uh, actually did a time and motion study, they'd be quite shocked about how how little time they give themselves for that sort of relaxation side of, of, yeah. of their hormonal and, system. Yeah, and I think the the thing is, there's a the thing I want to say about there's a difference between sitting down watching telly mm-hmm. and doing something like meditation. Yes. I mean, it's a completely different impact on on our well being, and and this is what we've got to realize that you know that we part of what's important about uh, meditation is is the um, you know, it's the processing that happens with that. And so we're not just taking in a whole lot more input that from, say, television or whatever that then also has to be processed. Well, it's a difficult sell, isn't it? Because in a world where a lot of people are still trying to marginalise sleep so they can supposedly get more done in their life, you know, I hear it all the time from people saying, well, in order to get that extra training session in, I'll just get up earlier. They're not going to bed any earlier, so they're cutting down on sleep. And we know that sleep is our most our most valuable recovery tool from one to ten, probably. And yet, there's still a lot of people who see it as a waste of a day or a waste of hours in the yeah. day. And of course, it's not. Um, so, adding trying to get people to do meditation when they're already trying to cut back on sleep is um, is a difficult sell until you've got them into it and they start to see the benefits, and they realise that by meditating regularly even small amounts that they sleep better and then they're more productive and they get more done and life's better and they don't have as many arguments with their with their family and they they make better choices with the food you know so there's so much benefit to come out of this we've just got to get people involved in it to start with so they can so they can see them for themselves yeah i think this is it and um you know the the one of the things we are learning that research is starting to show that, you know, even 10 minutes a day can make a big difference. So, you know, we're not talking about our, you know, people having to put an hour aside or whatever, you know, it's a very small amount of time that where we start to, I'm not saying 10 minutes is something to kind of aim for and stop at necessarily, but it's even 10 minutes can show physiological you know, and mental health benefits. But you, I think you do find, and I've seen this with um, with exercise and mobility, which is something else we're trying to encourage people to do, is just to move more and, and stretch a little bit more, is if you get somebody doing five minutes, almost uh, as a result of that and them seeing the benefits, they will naturally start to increase the amount of time they spend doing that. And I, I mean, I fall into this category because five years ago, you'd have struggled to get me to, to spend five minutes in the morning doing some doing a bit of yoga. Now I have a 45 minute routine. I do religiously at least six days of the week. And if I don't do it, it, it feels like I haven't brushed my teeth and I feel a bit dirty and unclean. So, you know, that's the change it's brought around for me. And I'm engaged in this world. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it does, it does. I mean, I like what you say, because it does, you know, it does become part of your routine. As you say, it does feel like if you haven't done your practice on a regular basis, then it does feel like you haven't brushed your teeth, you know, but just it becomes sort Mm. of normalized and we become used to noticing the difference in our well-being Mm -hmm. and how we are just functioning in the world. Um, You know, if we, if we miss practice. So, I'm sure it's the same, you know, as you said, it's the same kind of exercising as well. That, yeah, but you know, it's it's important because we just can't drive ourselves. You know, if we just keep driving ourselves, we're you know we're heading, you know, for mm. a much a kind of I'm going to say earlier grave. You know, it, it's going to take its toll on us. So we need to find this balance, and I think particularly as we get older. Well, there's that phrase people use, isn't there? That they say, "Oh, I, you know, I can sleep when I'm dead." But of course, the flip side to that is, well, if you keep not sleeping, you will be dead. So 
you know, you're hastening your own demise, really, and it's it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, let's let's start talking about meditation then and the different types. You mentioned transcendental. I talked about Headspace, which um, there's a couple of apps, so that that's obviously not the only one um, that that make it easy to get into that um, from the comfort of your own home. So maybe if you can help us to define the different types of meditation and the different ways in which you can practice it and whether it's necessary to spend time just sitting there quietly because Jonathan uh, my brother does his meditation every morning so when I go to stay with him I have to be quiet for 20 minutes which is challenging for me um I like to do my meditation now walking through the woods and just focusing on my breathing and listening to the birds um because that means I get out and get fresh air and I get into nature and all that other stuff so maybe we can talk about whether it's possible to once you've learned the basics of it to combine that with other activities so over to you what's what's meditation Caroline well, that's a great question. What is it? So the first thing I want to say about meditation, I mean, clearly it's got a hugely ancient, ancient history. You know, it goes back, um, if we look at the kind of records, particularly in Eastern philosophy, and it goes back to the um, through the uh, yogic philosophy, right back to the early texts for that, Um it goes back, we'll find it in early Chinese texts, early um, Asian texts looking at Buddhism. And this is probably where it's most clearly kind of, well, it's mostly mentioned in, in Eastern philosophy. Not to say that Western philosophy and uh, spiritual practices don't include meditation because I think they do, um, but I think it's most clearly defined in the East, so that's kind of where I'm going to start. So the... The point, if you like, of meditation is, is really to gather our attention and our awareness into the entirety of our present moment experience. So it's coming home. It's coming home to being in our lives as they are, not pushing anything away not dragging something else in to fill the space. It's around starting to just land, to ground ourselves. We can start with, first of all, just you know, literally finding our feet on the floor, finding our bottom on the chair, whatever it is, finding our ground, just coming into the body. You know, we are space cadets, I'm going to say, as human beings. You know, we live in our heads. James Joyce has a great um, saying from one of his short stories called The, the Dubliners, and, and he has, has a, a saying, he said, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> and this is the way that most of us live, head first. I mean, you've only got to look at people commuting to work, you know, yeah. get, getting off a train, rushing along the road, you know, head first, body behind. You know, so we're, we're future-focused would you know would we're kind of driven and that is not what meditation is so how do we counter that so we it's almost like we we bring our attention awareness back and we can almost say like we bring ourselves rather from the the gaze of the eyes which move us forward take us out and move us forward the whole time we can take our attention back into ourselves maybe towards the back of the body even we can bring our attention in so we can feel what it's like to have a human body and to you know to be in it and start to notice all the different things that are going in so that's kind of where we're starting we're starting with finding some ground and then we we're kind of opening to that present moment experience after we've found some ground so in simple terms that's kind of the process is about being present as a starting point so that's that's kind of where we start in and then one of the things that it's helpful to learn, again, as a kind of a, a starter to meditation, is to bring this scattered mind, this mind that just is all over the place, to bring it back to the present. And so we give the mind anchors, anchors to come back to so it can help it be present because all our minds wander. And when we practice any form of meditation, all our minds wander. You know, the mind's like, you know, a little child that runs off in the park the whole time, you know. So for its own safety, you 
you know, you call it back, you go and get it by the hand and you walk it back gently and kindly. And, you know, this is what we do with our minds when we're practicing meditation. Our minds run away. You know, we see the minds run away. We can have a little smile. Oh, there you go. Because it's just what minds do, you know, wandering mind, monkey mind, sometimes it's referred to. So we could, yeah, we could just notice that. So that's a comment that I hear come back from a lot of people is, that, oh, I just can't focus when I'm doing that. I just start thinking about everything that's gone on in the day. So what you're saying is there's nothing wrong with that. that that's natural. But yes. the meditation part is for us just, okay, like you say, like the little child, come back now and come and sit over here with mummy and daddy and, and just be focused and, you know, and then and then you bring it back. And I guess the more that you practice with this, because it's, it's a skill like most other things, isn't it, this? And we've lost that skill um, with our... Um, distractedness that we have these days we've lost that skill we need to learn it again and the more you practice the more focused you'll stay but your mind will always still wander it might just take a bit longer to wander yeah so what when we're bringing our minds back it's we're bringing it back to this kind of sense of our present moment experience as it's happening and so the the various and you know the the mind might wander you know a thousand times in a thousand seconds if we're you know if we're practicing meditation so we just keep bringing it back so we could almost say that the practice meditation is bringing the mind back to the present um which i think is almost more helpful because it takes the you know sometimes we'll notice um it's easier for our minds to settle when we practice other times we'll find our minds are all over the place you know and this is just because we change day to day moment to moment sometimes we've got more going on in our lives or things are busy and we'll find our minds maybe more distracted other times we're able to settle more so this is the kind of the way practice goes year on year mm. so we're not we're not um there's no you can't get um, meditation of any kind wrong um it's it's more about just noticing what's happening and being kind and curious to yourself i'm just thinking there of a phrase that my yoga teacher used um about yoga saying it's not a performance it's a practice you know, so a lot of people will go and say, I'm not very good at yoga. You know, that person there can do a proper downward dog and they can do they can do this thing. I just can't do it. But, but it's not about comparing with other people. And it sounds like meditation is not a performance either. It's a practice and we just do it and we're all at different stages. But if we keep doing it, we'll get better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think we get more we get more familiar with you know what's helpful and what's not helpful for us as we practice. Definitely. Yes. My yoga teacher has the. Uh, saying she says it's it's the journey not the destination mm -hmm. so yeah it's because it is the journey not the destination. it is about noticing what's happening right now and so this so in different traditions so transcendental meditation for example has you know uses a, 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 what they call a mantra so this is like a word or um, something that you repeat now this kind of practice helps to give the mind something to pay attention to. And as does, for example, being aware of breathing, this gives the mind something to come back to. And, and I always say in terms of awareness of breathing practice, you know, we should be, you know, it's awareness of the whole body and that movement that happens in the body as we breathe. It's not bringing a narrow focus to you know, breathing. That's not the practice. The practice is this kind of wider awareness of mm. being a human being that has something going on and that ha we happen to call that breathing. So when when we when we do our yoga, yeah, and I know every yoga teacher is different in the way that they um deliver their their sort of um practice. Louisa always has a slang on the floor, you know, and just going through various parts of the body and she'll take us on that journey, you know, feel your feet. What do you feel with your feet? How do your legs feel? Have your feet fallen apart? Do your knees, are your knees touching? You know, what, where can you feel your body lying on the floor? Where can you feel the pressure? Do you feel the pressure more on the left side than the right side? What's your breathing like? Um, yeah, and all of that stuff. And she, or she takes us through, she, she says, now I think you're a little man and the little man's in the bloodstream and he's taking a journey around the body, like, like the blood vessels of the motorway network. What does he see when he gets to here? Does he see tension? Does he see chaos? Does he see relaxed? You know? And so it doesn't really matter what image you use. It, it's about thinking about that whole connectedness, isn't it? Of every part of the body. It's so it's about experiencing what's happening in the present moment. Mm. 
So I would say it's not about thinking about that takes us up into our heads. So it's what we're doing is we're having the lived experience through physical sensations Mm -hmm. of, of what's happening in the body. And yes, imagery can be helpful, but I think one of the things we've got to, as a kind of vehicle, but one of the things we've got to be helpful, um, mindful of is, or aware of is that, you know, we get, we spend so much time into our heads so we just don't know what's happening in the body. And, Mm -hmm. and that's when, so for example, so when, as we start to practice meditation, um, as you said, um, people have said to you that, you know, then all these thoughts come up. Yeah. And this is what happens because we've got a lot of unprocessed material <laughs> within us that starts to come up when, you know, as the mind starts to go a little, a little quieter. And how we meet these thoughts and emotions is absolutely a key part of the meditation practice and process. So, if we have a difficult thought come up, then once we've noticed it's come up, maybe maybe it's anger, maybe you know it's frustration, whatever it is, then it's important for us then to check into the body. What is the what are the physical sensations that are resonating with this emotional state? You know, what's here? Can I gently turn this kind and curious attention towards these sensations? Can I allow them to be? Can I notice, you know, is it is it an, an aching in my heart or is it a hollowness in my, you know, abdomen or a tension mm-hmm. in my shoulders? So really bringing our attention and awareness into this part of the body and allowing ourselves just to be with it. We're not, we can't force anything to change. We can't push things away. Mm-hmm. We've got to allow ourselves to be in this. And then as we practice in this way with our, our difficult thoughts, difficult emotions, then this, these things can start to settle themselves. So if we were going to give transcendental meditation a try, are there particular mantras that, that are recommended or can you choose anything? Can you choose the words from a song or? So this, I mean, it's a lot, I have to just say it's a, it's many decades since I used this as a regular practice. So how it was taught to me then was that you go along to someone who actually teaches it and they give you something, uh, mm-hmm. gives you a mantra. Yeah. I personally, having found mindfulness practice, I do not do that practice anymore. I mean, um, that's not what I find particularly helpful, but I think the point I'm making is to, you know, to, to know that you're breathing, to feel your breathing, for example, in the body, mm. to feel your feet on the floor, to, have something that anchors you in the present moment um, is incredibly helpful as a way of starting to be able to start noticing what's happening in your own internal processes. So you mentioned mindfulness practice. Is that one and the same as meditation, not transcendental, but is that one and the same as meditation or is that different? And if so, in how is it different? Yeah, it's, we get into terminology, don't we? Um as I said, I think the essence of all these practices is about the, the essence of mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness is the actual word f- that mindfulness originates from, um, which is sati. Um, it's a Pali word, S-A-T-I. It actually means sort of remembering. It comes from a kind of oh, a sort of sense of remembering. And I like to think of almost kind of like remembering who we are. We're coming back to who we actually are when we practice and this kind of bringing kind of awareness to what's to what's happening so there is one of the important things about all practices is this this aware of what's happening now so it's it's we're not it's a a moving away from how we function in life normally which is yeah we're going back over the past you know mm-hmm. things about the past. We're going forward, projecting. You know what might happen in the future, or planning, or fantasizing, or whatever it is in the future. And we're coming back to the you know the nowscape. You know we're coming back to you know um, be here now. As I think Ram Dass was you know one mm-hmm. of his books, early books written many many, I think in the seventies. But you know this, how do we be here now? And it's through this awareness of the body, awareness of ourselves uh, not only the body but so it's the body it's our thoughts it's our emotions it's our behaviors it's our reactions our behaviors and the kind of to the 
our immediate environment in each moment. So we we need to, if I'm understanding correctly, it's important for us to take time out of each day to practice this mindfulness. But you hear a lot of conversations where people are talking about being more mindful in the other hours that you're awake, you know, being mindful of what's happening around you. Is, is that right? Are they using the right word there? And is it all getting yeah. mixed up together? Um, and yeah. does, when, when we practice this more often, when we when we engage in deliberate practice of mindfulness, does that extend to subconscious mindfulness as we operate throughout the day then? Yeah, that's a great question too, Simon. So the first thing I'd say that we can, if if we like, we can think of what we call formal practice of meditation and mindfulness, and we can think of what I'm going to call informal practice. Mm. So the formal practice might be setting time aside to perhaps, you know, we can do um, we can do meditation. It can be moving, can be something like, you know, things like Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, um, as examples of kind of mindful walking. These can be kind of moving meditation. We can do, we can do kind of standing. We can be still, literally stand up be still meditating, we can sit down or we can lie down. So essentially we can meditate in any position, if you like. You know, it's not about sitting in lotus position on the floor or whatever people think it might be. So we can we can practice in any position. And it's about our intention. I think the, the important thing about meditation or mindfulness is about our intention to be present. And this can be done, yeah, it can be done in the formal way, as I've just said, or we can take this intention into our everyday lives you know, as we're taking our shower in the morning, as we're having our cup of tea or coffee or whatever it is, you know, as we're doing the washing up or, you know, chopping up vegetables or gardening or, you know, driving to work or commuting, anything. Yeah, and, and as we're doing, you know, our activities, if we're running, you know, we can bring our attention to the soles of our feet. Mm. You can notice how our body's moving. I mean, one of the things that I find quite distressing, really, when I see people doing quite hard exercise and got their headphones in. Oh. I mean, how? Don't get me how, started. <laughs> how can you be at your best performance if you're not aware of what on earth is going on? I can tell you the response to that for most people is I'm distracting myself from discomfort of running. Um, and as a coach, my, I'd have two questions there is, well, why is it, why is it causing you discomfort you know unless you're actually um doing a specific session we need to go that hard actually most of the time you're exercising should be moderate to easy but most people seem to be you know you never you very rarely see people smiling as they're running they're always got a pain fixated in, in sort of anguish and and uh, grimacing um and it's distractedness from the day it's it's not mindful at all is it i i, I ride along a towpath by my house and the number of near collisions i have with people who are running but they're running and they've got their headphones in and they're running looking at the phone and they're in the middle of the path and i'm ringing my bell and then we come to a dead stop pretty much face to face and they're shocked that i'm there um yeah. you know it's um and and but you you know i don't tend to go into cities and towns much but when i do i'm equally horrified by the number of people moving around the streets that are not engaged in anything other than um a smartphone yeah, um, I'm, yeah, it's I'm true. surprised there isn't more. I'm surprised yeah. there isn't more pedestrian accidents. To be honest, yeah, we're pre- we're very addicted to our te- to our phones, aren't we? Um, we absolutely, think, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. So if people, you know, if people really want to improve performance, then best performance comes from a sense of ease. It comes from relaxation. You know, we don't do anything at our best when we're tense, mm. when we're tight, when we're anxious. You know, we're, and we're creating, you know, when our mind is feeling tight, our bodies are tight. You know, there's a direct relationship. You no, know, we're not separate mind and body. You know, we're, we're interlinked, you know. Um, Descartes has a lot to answer for, you know, with his mind-body split that he, but, you know, we know all the research around um, physiology, around hormones, around, you know, what, we, what happens with our, mind, our thoughts and our emotions affects our bodies. There's absolutely no question about it. And, and you know, this is why the practice of meditation or mindfulness, whichever, you know, it doesn't really matter what you call it, but this practice is so vital to help train us to have the awareness to be sensitive to enough to our bodies to know when we're pushing too hard, when we need to relax, when we, you know, it's that, 
it's that thing of you know being a coiled spring, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Versus being you know a kind of being there's you know we talk about I'm I'm sure you do talk about kind of being in the flow. You know mm-hmm. when we're in the flow, flow comes out of a sense of ease and relaxation, and that's when we perform our best, not when we're tight and pushing ourselves. And I I think that humans need to take a um, a, a sort of a leaf out of the animal kingdom book because you see animals they um predators are in the ready state but but often you, when they're when they're on the go they're, they're they're concentrating aren't they concentrating on either not being hunted or or hunting something and um and then but then when they're not doing that they're resting and relaxing but they're always ready to go at a moment but they do know how to switch between um on and off you you talked about us humans not having the off button um animals do but then i always think um when you watch horses or dogs race they're not sort of comparing themselves to others. They're just pack animals out there, just want to race. And then they're all friendly afterwards and happy. They're not disappointed in the performance. They're not looking at a smartwatch and thinking, oh, no, that was worse than last week. You know, they're just happy to do all that stuff. And you can see them, they're, they're, the dogs, the tails are wagging. Um, we, we need to get being back to our animal instincts a little bit more. Yeah, I love that analogy. I think that's so true. Yeah, you know, we need to be like dolphins, you know, playing in the, playing in the sea, you know, having fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The um, I'm just thinking as you're describing how we can take this the practice of meditation on the move with us, um, and I'm thinking about you know when you're driving or when you when you're riding your bike, you could be thinking about what the road surface is like, how you feel at that moment, what what your legs are feeling like, and and actually if we learn this practice while we're training, um, it's possible to use it in a competitive state to stay in the moment. I remember I remember listening to um, a female professional triathlete who who. In, in the triathlon world would be marked as one of the, the legends of all time talking about in the, in a race, instead of distracting yourself from the pain that comes with fatigue and going hard is to actually be in that moment and say, look, you know, I've trained for this Of course. It's going to be hard. This is, I'm going for the gold medal here. You know, I wouldn't expect it to be easy. So let's focus on the breathing. Let's try and relax as much as possible. If, if things are going bad right now, understand that things will go better eventually, you know, you'll feel good, but you've just got to work your way through this. But, you know, the legs are doing what they should do. Let's focus on 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 the things we're supposed to be doing now, not, like you say, not the future, not dreaming of a burger or a beer when we get to the finish line, but thinking about exactly what we're doing at that moment. And that's so that skill of being present and being in the moment is, is definitely, again, something we have to learn. And it's mm-hmm. something we can take into the workplace as well, you know, to be more productive because instead of getting distracted by notifications on the phone or somebody wandering into the office who's bored, we get our head down and we focus on a task and we get it completed. And then you, you switch off for a bit and, you, and you're on that on or off rather than kind of on. Yeah. So it is, I mean, mindfulness um, and, you know, meditation do help us, you know, across our lives, I think. Yeah. And I think there's something really important that helps us, you know, helps us with our, as you said in the beginning, it helps us with our the way we are. It's a kind of, we're learning a kind of a, a way of being in the world. That's what we're really learning. It's not it's not just a, a kind of gimmicky um, little thing that we can do. It's it's how we are. It's how we show up to be living our lives. So do we want to be more relaxed? Do we want to be better, you know, better with our communication, our relationships, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's with our sport colleagues? You know, mm-hmm. do we want to kind of be able to, to feel that kindness and you know, we're going to be able to feel real joy when our colleagues do well and we don't do so well, but, you know, well done them. You know, it's So it, it's helping us to feel happier by cultivating this sense of what, you know, under, helping us understand what's important in our lives. What are our values? What is really important, you know, to, to help us lead uh, a happier life? I think a lot of people will think, oh, this this meditation and breathing and relaxation and mindfulness, it's all a bit woolly. But there, there must be some documented research. You've talked about the, the research you did with the, um, the ladies who had cancer. Um, what are the documented benefits of, of meditation and mindfulness? Mm. So they are huge. I mean, the first, the first thing, I think one of the most important things is this balance, which you um, referred to earlier, but it's this balance of the nervous system you know, this, we have, you know, we have this, as we all know, this kind of on button, the sympathetic nervous system, fight, fright, flight, freeze, um, that side of us, which is the, you know, driving us, Mm. which is our survival side. You know, this is, 
that side comes on so that we can survive. And unfortunately, um, we know what happens is that because it's, um, it, you know, it, it gets switched on and we're used to it and we never, it never gets switched off. Mm -hmm. So one of the documented benefits is this balancing of the nervous system, you know, this allowing the parasympathetic nervous system. We can think of the the, the sort of the calming side of the nervous system. We can think of it like a pair of a balancing a pair of scales. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got the the sympathetic side. Yeah, sometimes we do need to get up and go. That's fine. And we've got the calming side. Now, for most of us, we're way out of balance. You know, they've got the all, all everything's on the the active side, nothing on the calming side. So, mm -hmm. if we want to get into a a more optimal stage of performance, we need to redress that balance. That's that's fundamental, and that's what a lot of the research shows around reducing levels of cortisol. Um, it's also around things like, you know, for people with cancer, for example, you know, it's these things called natural killer cells. So these, the body's natural ability to fight. We, I mean, we all got, we've all got cancer cells. There's no doubt about it in in our bodies. That's a fact of life. But the question is, what makes them become activated? And and I'm going to say, yeah, we've probably all got predispositions to other kind of serious health conditions, but what makes them come activated? And so it's it's being able to optimize the physiological system in the body so that we've got our immune system working optimally for yeah. us. Yeah. And that helps, you know, so getting all of these things in balance so that the physiology and the immune system work better. So that's part of it. Um, yes, psychologically, there's loads of, lots of research now looking at you know all the different mood states that we you know we we struggle with whether it's anxiety whether it's depression whether it's fear you know generalized mood state overall these are definitely improved by mindfulness so we feel better you know our well-being is better that's another thing that we you know we we are we are generally happier we feel so all of these things are benefits of practice i mean if you if you really want to get data and statistics get a watch that measures heart rate variability and see how heart rate variability improves because you calm in the vagal nerve and, you know, yeah. and all of those things, um, see how heart rate variability, um, improves after a few weeks, maybe even days of mindful practice. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. If, if, if you're into self-monitoring like that, yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of the, most of the triathletes are and probably will have gadgets that enable them to do that. So it, it's an e it's an easy one to do for most yeah. people, and so it gives you, but it gives you definitive proof that this stuff really works. Yeah, and and I think what I'd like to say, if if you know, if everybody's relying on what the dials telling them, you know, mm -hmm. what the, I'd like to invite people to start to check in, check in with yourself inside. How do I feel better? Because this is the mindfulness process, you know really starting to use internal monitoring rather than mm. just relying on the external. Yeah. Well, it, what's interesting is I've, uh, I've talked to quite a few um, experts in heart rate variability. The lady I had on yesterday, actually, um, who's um, on the podcast, um, is an ex-Olympic kayaker, world champion, but she teaches breathing and um, um, relaxation techniques in the corporate world. And, we, we talked about all of this stuff and, and nearly all of these experts, as, as much as they've done the research and they've got the data and the figures, nearly all of them say, but there's nothing that beats actually understanding and listening to what your body's telling you. Yeah. And it is about, so, I mean, as, as who, you know, as we're here, we can, you know, literally turn our attention into our body to notice how it is right now, mm. you know, so, you know, the, the question that mindfulness asks is this question, you know, what is here now? This is the question of mindfulness, what's here now? Simple. You know, how am I, what am I physically, how am I feeling, what physical sensations are here in the body, what's here to be noticed, you know, and, mm. and noticing the, you know, our thoughts, our emotions, our reactions, our behaviours, you know. So, just this this starting to know what's here is where we start there's yeah there's definitely a lot more distractedness in the world now isn't there 
you know you can see it if uh, you know you go out to go out to go out to dinner go to a restaurant with you, with your partner or your friends and look around at all the other people and see how many of them are actually paying attention to the conversation at the table or getting distracted by their phone every few minutes and looking at the phone and not 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 engaging in the conversation it's uh, it's sort of you know i find it very very sad when i observe that sort of behavior but that's that's what the modern world has become like yeah. And I really think, I mean, I was on a, I was recently on a 10 day silent retreat wow. and um, just switched my phone off. It was such a joy. I didn't miss it. It was just no. nice not to have it. And I think there is definitely something for saying, you know, I mean, I know we get our kids to do it, don't we? No, no, no phones after eight o'clock or seven o'clock or five mm. o'clock or whatever it is. And, you know, we do, we need, to, as adults, we need to do the same. You know, just switch the switch the damn things off and just well, I, give ourselves a chance. I I uh, I have people saying to me, uh, "Is it okay to ring at eight o'clock?" And I said, "Well, not really. Now I try to stop work at seven o'clock. Generally, I try to turn my computer off and I don't really look at my phone and I have the red light on. And um, you know, yeah, but I I can't do it before eight. Oh, I'm sorry. Then we're going to have to find some other time. You must you must have some time during the day. I, f- I think it's important, actually, if you want to live that lifestyle of not being disturbed, you have to train other people to respect the way you want because they've got this thing where they are connected 24-7 and anything goes. Yeah. And, you know, if you get emails at the weekend, you know, I I mean, I won't respond to emails at the weekend around work unless it's uh, you know, absolutely urgent. So, you know, it's it's really – it's it is – technology hygiene isn't it you know i was just reading about kate bush she's uh, back at the top of the charts apparently the oldest person to have a number one hit and it's to do with this song running up that hill which you might remember from the first time around i do being, remember being yeah. part of a tv program now but she was being interviewed by uh some emma barnett i think on radio five and saying she has a her telephones like um uh, her mobile phones one from 30 years ago so it doesn't have it's not a smartphone and she said i don't have messages on it i don't have emails um and she said i think it's really important when people come to my concerts not to be on the phone all the time videoing and and what have you but to focus on what's actually going on so back back to your whole thing about being in the moment and being present and enjoying the whole atmosphere around the concert rather than trying to send photos on it and put things on instagram for gratification for gratification that way yeah absolutely okay so let's summarize then caroline before we finish um a few quick tips on how people get started. You know, how do we take them from that putting back on sleep and being engaged in the phone all the time to being more mindful and, and focusing on what's going on right now? Well, I think the first thing people, they, you know, people have to, there has to be an intention or there has to be um, energy. There has to be a kind of interest, I guess, is what I'm saying. You know, you to try, you know, to an open-mindedness to try something different. And I think also, you know, we've got to this, we've got to remember that sort of this practice of mindfulness, and we haven't talked, I know you've had um, Jonathan talking about self-compassion, but you know, the this changing of our mindset that rather than driving ourselves, we bring in some kindness and curiosity and, you know, this giving ourselves permission to take our foot off the gas and what would it be like to maybe not drive ourselves so hard doing whatever it is we're spending our time doing, maybe giving ourselves some time to try something different. And one one kind of quote from the very early days of when I first started my research into mindfulness, I was teaching this eight-week program to people with breast cancer back in 2005. And and one of the first comments that came through from uh, one of the participants was saying, you know, she said, I came on this program and she said, I really didn't know. I didn't think I had time to do it. I didn't think I had time to practice mindfulness. She said, but actually, once I started to practice mindfulness, I found that suddenly I had a lot of time for everything else and I've gone back to swimming and I'm doing mindful yeah. swimming. Yeah. So it 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 does help us somehow helps us to move towards the things that are helpful for us and move away from the things that are unhelpful. So I think the first thing is to give it a go. I mean, I think you mentioned Headspace. I think there's another app possibly called Calm. I mean, there are a lot of people teaching mindfulness programs. There's in the UK, there's the um, a lot of courses that you can do around a lot of good teachers. So I think it's 
I mean, you also have to be careful about um, people who maybe aren't so good. So there are, um, for example, for mindfulness, there's the BAMBA, it's called B-A-M-B-A. You can look up a teacher there if you want to get someone who's met certain criteria and so on, uh, as an example, or you can go to the um, Mindful Self-Compassion UK dot com website for finding a mindful self-compassion teacher and course. So um, there are there are places you can go or download an app as a starting point if you're not sure. I mean there are also some free there are free uh, audios available on various websites as well. So I'd say just give it a go. And I think you know don't set the bar too high for yourself. You know um, set the bar at a at a starting point which is going to be reasonable for you. Maybe that's five minutes, ten minutes. Maybe do that for you know a couple of weeks, two weeks, a month, whatever you decide. See if you can just do five or ten minutes a day, you know, most days of the week for a month, and and see how you get on, and then take it from there. Yeah, because five minutes is better than what you were doing before, which was nothing, right? So absolutely, as long as, as, long as we keep moving the needle from the left to the right, um, it doesn't matter how fast we do it, but we just you know if the left is the starting point, as long as we move it a little bit to the right, then that's an improvement. Yeah. And then the second thing I would say is when you start to practice is to let go of any expectation about what you think should happen, what you think meditation should be like, what you think your experience should be like, and really just to let, you know, really let go of all that. And just to, if you're going with a guided practice, just to allow yourself to rest back and follow the instruction just as they are. Mm -hmm. And it's like anything you will, you know, that that allowing yourself to be in the experience and go with the flow will get if is it you know there's nowhere to kind of get to but it will you know in a sense in the sense that progress is is you know becoming more familiar is finding ease is is you know helping it to be beneficial the more you just allow that process to happen the, the kind of the the i think overall the better the experience will be for you i would think that most people have some some elements of dead time in their day that they think it's dead time, but actually you could use it for this. So if you're on the train or that, well, obviously not today yeah. on the train as we're recording this, but if you happen to take train journeys regularly, there'll be times when you're sitting there, when you could do this, when you might otherwise be flicking through Facebook or reading a paper or doing a Sudoku puzzle. Um, exactly. You, know, you talked, you talked about combining it with other activities. Um, if you're walking to the shops or you're waiting in a queue, there's an ideal opportunity to just, you know, use that time productively and perhaps calm your frustrations at having to wait in the queue. And I, that was something that you mentioned earlier that I was going to pick up on that. Most of the people that I know that engage in meditation or mindfulness or any of those sort of associated practices like yoga um, seem to go through life with a much calmer approach. They don't seem to lose their temper. They don't seem to get flustered by things. And I'm sure that's not just, um, a fluke. I'm sure those two things are connected that they're able to, you know, in situation, just take a few breaths, calm down a bit and just quiet the mind. And you know, Yeah. You, yeah. I, I, I think it does, it does help in our lives overall. And I think what we really, what we're doing, I'm often like to use the analogy of um, like a well, you know, we've got to fill up if, you know, it's like we've got a, or well, actually a fountain is probably better. I usually use fountain for this. Um, so what we can do is to imagine that we have a fountain and you need a base of water in that fountain. Mm -hmm. So unless we look after ourselves and we build up this kind of inner resilience and strength, you know, so that when difficulties come along, it's not that we don't feel them or experience them, but we're less buffeted by them perhaps, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the really helpful because then, We've got a in this kind of base of water, and then we can kind of go up and out into the world and do whatever we do from from a much more sound, grounded, solid base. And it's I think one thing I want to say is that people might think, oh, it's really boring. You know, um, it's just you know it's a waste of time because it's just kind of boring. You're just sitting there, but actually, it's a lot more than you know. It's a lot more than that. It's it's about building up this inner strength. You know, it's a, it's a strength and it's a there are qualities like calm, which are important to be able to enjoy ourselves. Mm. You know, we real joy comes from a place of ease and calm. You know, mm -hmm. it's real joy isn't about being hyper excited and you know that kind of thing. It's a different kind of a 
a sort of more innate sense, to be really able to enjoy our lives and the people around us and the world, beautiful world we live in. Mm. So I've got I've got two two things there. Give it a go. So I think you've got to be ready, willing, and able, haven't you? There, that's what you were talking about. And we use that in nutrition about you might be ready, and are you willing? Are you actually able to do this now? So if you've decided um, you are, then give it a go and and just don't have any expectations. Would would you add anything to that, or, or is that enough? I think that's a good place to start. And just remember that you know the main. I think the main thing about practice is you know just be kind, be kind to yourself. You know. And and also be a bit in some ways just be a bit playful around it. Don't take it all too seriously. You know, just I think sometimes we we tend to be so driven that everything becomes incredibly serious, and we kind of almost miss the point of stuff. Sometimes we're so mm. caught up. So yeah, yeah. Back to the dolphins analogy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. Hoffman, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. You've uh, you've definitely educated me. So I hope that's uh, also. Um, been the case for our listeners so if if listeners if you're nodding along um please do send in any messages of thank you to dr hoffman i'm sure she'd be pleased to uh, to read those but so from me caroline thank you for being on the show it's been an absolute pleasure yeah thanks so much simon it's been great to speak to you and i hope it's helpful for all your listeners oh well even if it isn't for them it's been helpful for me <laughs> great Thank you again to Caroline for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and press the subscribe button. It'll only take a few seconds. And if you've got a bit more time, please, while you're there, could you leave us a rating and a review? I'd really appreciate that. And apparently in the podcast world, it does make a big difference. Please also remember that I have free gifts for anybody who signs up to the mailing list. And you can also find that link in the show notes below, or you can mail beth at triathloncoach.com. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you on the next episode.